Welcome back. It's now time for Chapter 6 of the Green Book. After the lovely romp that evening, we expected them to come the next morning. But they didn't, and they weren't flying around above us, as they had been every day since they hatched out. So in the afternoon, we went to go look for them. They were all gathered in Boulder Valley. Boulder Valley? all smooth and stoneless now. They were settled on a round slopes of the valley, row upon row of them, all round and curving valley sides, wings folded above their heads, and all facing the circular flat valley floor, looking towards the view of the lake and the distant mountain. And on the valley floor, a small group of them were slowly moving, and opening and closing their wings. Anybody would have known how special it was. It felt very hushed and intense, as though we could not hear the performers. We could tell that the rest of the moths were listening, listening in that the way they made words huge and grand, as the people on Shine had listened to Father, reading from the grim storybook. The whole lot of us gathered now, standing on the valley rim, outside the assembly of moth people, watching and staring, drawn into the circle by the feeling, but shut out hopelessly from understanding. There seemed to be a play going on, speeches, and then slow, solemn dances, little bursts of flight, little ringing movements, and amazing, spectacular movements of dozens of wings, a drama, said the guide, bemused. A mystery play, said Father. And we settled to watch, sitting on the rough hillside and staring. It seemed to Patty that it all went on very long time. She didn't want to leave, go home, play instead. But it made her feel terribly lonely, not to understand at all. At last, when the afternoon was halfway over, the players, the dancers on the stage, suddenly rose in flight in a great spiraling column of wings that mounted and mounted, blazing red and silver in the sun, and the moth audience began to join in, rushing forward down the hillside onto the stage, and then mounting in flight with the others so that a column of wheeling wings soared higher and higher and seemed to reach the vanishing point in the bright sky. Like a great kite with a long, long tail flying upward, and when the leaders had finally flown high enough to draw the very last followers off the ground, the column leveled out and flew away across the lake toward the mountain. Behind them, in Boulder Valley, they left silence. For though their drama had been soundless, and the great rapt fluttering crowds of them had made no noise, the living hush of their play and the dead silence of the empty valley were quite different. Somewhere over the lake, the cloud of moths broke line and flew onward in a random scattering Malcolm, watching them through a pair of field glasses, said, 
They're in pairs now. That must have been a mating dance. We all stood for a little while, feeling lost and disappointed, just as it felt when suddenly there was missing pages in the grim story. And we all went home and ate, though it was really hunger that was making us feel empty. It wasn't really the hunger that was making us feel empty. The moth people were all gone the rest of the day and all night. We missed their shadows flittering between the huts, their scudding shadows cast across the fire shine and lamp shine between neighbors. And the next day, too, they were gone. The grown-ups found themselves things to do, but everyone was restless, and the children suddenly found their games boring with no moth friends to join in. And then towards evening, they began to come back, or some of them did, fewer than half as many. They came straggling, flying low over the still water, as though they were sick or exhausted or heavily laden. We could see that they were struggling, that their bodies were swollen and heavy, and some of them could not keep aloft, but touched the water, first just the wingtips, and then as they struggled and failed to fly higher, with wet wings, they stuck to the lake surface, trapped and helpless. We could only help some, only those that fell into the water just near the edge. The grown-ups waded in and pulled them onto the shore. But many of them died, floating and sinking far out. Those we had saved dragged themselves, crawling along the land towards Boulder Valley. The lucky ones, who were still airborne, flew there. Not more than a quarter of them made it, Peter reckoned. Patty and Jason hoped more would come the next day. We left the survivors resting in a rampant dusk. But the next morning we went back, carrying tree candy. They were all dying. They had shed their wings, which lay stretched out like colored cloths across the valley slopes, and they had laid eggs, lots of brown boulders, scattered like rocks on the hillsides. They would not eat our candy, but lay curled up and quiet, looking very shrunken and ugly and small without their wings. Patty cried for them bitterly. How long will it be before more of them hatch out? She asked father when he tried to comfort her. I don't know, Patty, he said. How can we tell? As Peter said, we don't know anything here, but I think it'll be a very long time, a very long time. Why, Father? asked Sarah. Because the bodies and the shed wings from the last generation of them had rotted away to nothing when we got here, and only the boulders were left. And I'm almost sure the boulders were much bigger before they hatched than the new ones are. I think they must have quite a lot of growing to do while they are boulders. And I don't suppose boulders grow fast. It might be years before they come again. And I'm afraid we shan't be here to see it. You mean because the wheat has gone wrong? Said Sarah. Yes, Sarah. Because of that.
he said, very sadly. It still looked lovely, though. While the moth people had taken Patty's mind right off it, the ripening had burnished the bronze wheat to gold and then to a crusty brownness like baked bread. The day came for cutting it, using a whirling thing made with knife blades on it that Father and Malcolm had made. Then everyone had to help, putting gloves on to keep from cutting their hands and walking along the fallen swaths of wheat, picking it up and piling it in witches' hats to dry. The first day we were cutting it, Malcolm took an armful of the stalks and laid them on the ground and beat them till the husks fell off in grains. Then he shook the grains in a sieve to get rid of the chaff and got a pile of hexagonal yellow beads shining like golden glass. People came down from working in the field and looked at it and shook their heads. They went inside their houses and all the doors were shut and the silence was like the silence left behind when the moth people flew away. In our hut, father sat with his head in his hands and the little blue bottle of last resort pills in front of him. But Sarah said, I'm going to treat, try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. She stole a handful of glass beads and rubbed them between two stones, and they fell easily into a dry white powder that smelled good. She sent Patty for a ladle of lake water and mixed the dough and rolled out thin and made a pancake and cooked it on the fire. Then when it looked done, she broke it into four pieces and gave one to Patty and one to Joe and bit into one herself, leaving father's share in the pan. Oh, it tasted good. We ate it in three bites. Then Sarah took the last piece to father. Oh, Sarah, my pet, he said. No, it can't be eaten. It's like ground glass. It would be like poison to us. It will kill us in a terrible agony if we eat it. We have eaten it, all three, father, said Sarah. It tastes good, Patty said. Father went very white. <gasps> oh, my dears, he said. Then he said, listen, if it begins to hurt you, I'll give you these pills at once. But let's sit together for a bit now. We sat till Patty fell asleep, leaning over against father. She half woke up when he carried her to bed. Dimly, she saw that the guide was there and Malcolm taking away the last quarter of the pancake bread and Jason's mother sitting beside Sarah. Patty fell asleep the moment father laid her down in her bunk. Does your tummy hurt, Patty? He asked her, but she barely heard him ask, and she was far too asleep to tell him. And she woke up the next morning feeling fine and hungry. It was the best day on Shine so far, for Sarah was well, and Joe was well, and all the grown-ups were laughing and teasing poor Malcolm. Well, he was saying, it looked granular under the microscope. That's all I have to say. But every family was rubbing grain between stones and making pan bread for breakfast. Well, planet, said the guide, smiling at the mountain.
Get used to us. We are here to stay. And now for Harvest Home. And this is the end of chapter 6.